0: Welcome to the Seashore Church message of the week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. You know, in in, in thinking about Memorial Day, God's got memorials too. And actually, the act of communion, which we're going to do at the end of the service today, communion was never meant to be like a, a funeral service, It's meant to be a memorial. It's meant to remember what Jesus did for us and what we now have access to. Like for Memorial Day for us here in America, we do want to remember those who who died in combat, but we also want to remember why. We want to remember that they did that so that we can have our freedom. So that's why you can mix a solemn moment with a barbecue and day at the beach. They would want you to have your day at the beach and have your barbecues. Jesus wants us to live the life that he died for us to have. And by the way, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead three days later to show that he had the power over sin and over death. And the intention is not for us to live with a picture of just a slain lamb. The Bible describes him as a lamb that was slain and as a lion. He is both of those things. And we are meant to live the life that he gave for us. But there's some memorials that the Bible actually set up, that God set up. That, that there are things that he instructed his people to do so that they would remember certain things. You know, one of the things you can read about in A- Exodus 28, he gave instructions to Moses for the priesthood. The priesthood were those who were to represent Man to God and to represent God to man. They kind of play this intermediary role, the priests. And it was Aaron, actually, Moses' brother and Aaron's kids who became the first priest and the order of the priesthood. And God was very specific about the kind of clothes that they were supposed to wear. Isn't it funny, the things God is specific about? And one of the things he told them to do, he said, as part of their clothing, I want you to take these two onyx stones... And I want you to put them on their shoulders, of the priests. And on one of the stones, you're to write six of the names of the tribes of Israel. And on the other one, you're to write the other six. There's 12 tribes of Israel. It represented all of the Hebrews. And each stone had at least half of the names. And then he said, I want you to take on on the breastplate, like the, the thing that went in front of them, I want you to take 12 stones. And each stone has one name. ...of one of the tribes of Israel. And you had four rows of three on their breastplate. And so here Aaron is, every time he went to minister before the Lord... ...he's carrying the tribes of Israel on his shoulders before the Lord. And he's got the names of them written on this breastplate. Now what's pretty cool about this is that when Aaron the priest would go before God... ...God would see Aaron as representing the people... Here are my people coming into my presence. I welcome them into my presence. Now, at the time, it had to be represented by the priest because if the people went before him, they'd be killed um, because of their sin. But because the names of the people were on the chest, the breastplate of the priest, God would welcome them into his presence as a representative. Now, we know that Jesus is ultimately our high priest, and when he died on the cross, it paid the ultimate price for us. He is our intermediary, intermediary, not a human being. There's no human priest that we have to go through to get to God. Jesus is our high priest. But when Aaron goes from ministry to God to ministering to the people, you got to remember, the priest to God represents the people, but the priest to the people represents God. And so when the people look on the priest they see that God has their names written on his heart. Isn't that beautiful? When Moses came down from the mountain, his head was glowing and the people were freaking out. They're like, please don't come near us. or At least put a hat on because this is freaking us out. So there's a little bit of fear and trepidation when God comes into you. But all of a sudden they see, wait a minute, God's got my name written on his heart. Isn't that beautiful? God set that up as a memorial for the people so that they would remember you are written on my heart i'm not coming with vengeance i'm not coming looking to punish you for the bad things you've done when i show up you're going to see that you were written on my heart before you even sought me your name was written on my heart so there's some things that god wants us to remember but I realize that God is actually really good, not just at remembering things. He's actually pretty good at forgetting things, too. Anybody have selective memory? Anybody have kids with selective memory? <laughs> selective hearing, right? My dad, I love my dad. My dad has the most selective memory ever. He only remembers the good things from, like, back in the day. And he'll tell a story, and we're like, Do you Do you remember how good it was? And my mom will be like, did you forget about this person and that person and that? We took a trip to Disney World on my fifth birthday, and we rented an RV to drive to Disney World. Sounded like a great idea, right? But as we drove down to Disney World, it broke down like three times. Now, my dad will tell you the story now. Remember how great it was when you went to Disney World on your fifth birthday? Do you remember how great a time it was? And I'm like, I remember being on the side of the road and you as a new Christian saying, if there is a God in heaven, get us to Florida. It was the most traumatic experience of my childhood and his young Christianhood. But now as he tells the story, it's, do you remember how great that was? Listen, that's a gift, not a curse. I want that. I want to have the kind of memory that only remembers the good stuff. God has selective memory, too. In Isaiah chapter 43, 25, it says, I, even I, this is God speaking, I, even I, am him who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Are you kidding me? God doesn't remember your sin. (laughs) Doesn't remember. God, I am so sorry for what I said to my wife this morning, he goes, what are you talking about? What, what did you, did you say something? I, God, I'm so sorry. I, I'm sitting here and I'm driving down the road and suddenly remembered something. All, I drove by a place where I used to do some bad stuff and it just reminded me of all the bad stuff I did. And God, I'm so sorry for all that bad stuff. And he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? I, I have no memory of that. I have chosen to delete the file, I don't remember it anymore. And I realize that I, I don't want to remember stuff that God chose to forget. It has a lot to do with our identity. We're really good at remembering things that God's already forgotten. And it's like we've got to remind God, God, you, you remember, right, that thing I did back then? He's like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. But we want to feel like somehow we've got to pay a penance for things that we did in the past. And God goes, if you could pay the penance for the sins that you committed, then why would I have sent my son? If you could have somehow paid the price for your sin, I must be the cruelest father that ever lived. Because I sent my son to die for something you could have done yourself. You see, the whole point is you couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Only the perfect God-man Jesus could have redeemed me from my sin. So do you know what God did in the Old Testament? Like He inspired the writing of the Old Testament, right? And so if you look through like the books of Samuel and Kings, it, it tells the whole story of the, of the kings of Israel. It's got, like David did some bad stuff. Like he was a man after God's own heart, but this guy was an adulterer. He was a murderer, and it tells the whole story. But then you get to the book of Chronicles. You ever read Chronicles? And you're like, didn't I just read this? But if you look at it from a different perspective, it tells the same stories. But do you know that Chronicles leaves out most of the bad stuff? The Bathsheba story is not in Chronicles. Look it up. There's a lot of things that got left out. The end of Solomon's life, because Solomon didn't end so well, not in Chronicles. Chronicles is just like, we're just going to erase that part. Is that like selective editing? Is that fake news? What's the deal? Well, a lot of it has to do with when these particular books were written. You see, Samuel and Kings were written at the time of the exile. The people had sinned against God and they had worshipped idols and so they got taken into exile. And those first two books that told the whole story left no parts out because it was important that God's people understood why this was happening. You need to know that what's happening is not because God is not good. What's happening is because you disobeyed and you are reaping the fruits of your own sin. So it told all of those things. While you're going into exile, don't, while you're going through a difficult situation, don't develop a theology that God's not good. While you're Waiting for your healing, don't develop a theology that God doesn't heal because you haven't experienced it yet. Stop bringing your theology down to the level of your experience and start learning how to get your experience up to the level of your theology. I may not be healed yet, but my God is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. So I have healing. I have access to it. I just got to figure out how. Not all of a sudden develop a theology of failure because I haven't seen it. He must not do it. But the book of Chronicles was written after the remnant returned back to Jerusalem. After the exile, after they came back, that's when Chronicles was written, because they no longer needed to know why they were there. They knew why they had been in captivity for all those years. But on the way back, there's no sense in God rubbing their nose in it going, hey, just remember, just remember who you are, remember what you did, don't do it again. They didn't need the remembrance of their sin, they needed to know their new identity. They needed to know, look, you already know why you did this, but can I tell you? Can I remind you of the goodness of God? Can I remind you of what happened before sin entered the picture and what the plan was all along? So Chronicles is a great book of hope. It might be selective hearing. It might be selective memory. But it's a picture of the God who remembers our sins no more. Stop remembering what God forgot. Yeah. If you want to discover your new identity in Him, that you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, then you've got to stop bringing up the past that God doesn't even remember anymore. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, and they went to look for Him, not to look for Him, but they went to embalm Him like the women came later, and there was an angel that was sitting there. Jesus was already gone. The tomb was empty. And the angel said, stop looking for the living amongst the dead. I love that line. It's one of my favorite lines. Stop looking for the living amongst the dead. You know what I found we do? When we're struggling with our identity in Christ, we keep looking for the dead amongst the living. We're we're alive in Christ, but we keep looking for the dead. I'm alive in Christ, yeah, but because I'm divorced, because I messed up when I was younger, because of my addiction that I had, that I'm still not really going to become all that God has for me because I got this thing in my past. And so I, I want this new life in God. And I have the new life, but I'm still held back by what I did in the past. And we're never ever, ever really able to step in to the fullness of, of God. We can't embrace the new, because there's a part of us that's still connected to the dead. We're living, but still looking for the dead. So when things begin to get good in life, when I start to pray for people and they get healed, when the anxiety begins to go, and that thing, that the depression that's run in your family for generations, and you're Got this new life, but you're like, yeah, but at some point, you know, when you turn 50, every male in my family at turned 50. Why are you remembering what God forgot? Stop looking for the dead amongst the living. Just live for him. Yeah, yeah. You see, the problem is, it's the devil that does this, Right? He only works in the present and the past. So this is our past. This is our present. And and this is our future. So the enemy is limited in his power. He does have power, but it's limited. And he only deals in the present and in the past. So when you sin now, he's like, ah, see that? See? See that sin you just did? You know why? Because you're still here. That thing you just looked at, do you remember when you used to do that? Yep, you haven't changed. You do that now because you're still the same person that was right there. You see, but God, He deals in the present, but He's always looking at the future. He, the past is there. He actually doesn't see it God doesn't see it and go yeah I know it's there don't worry about it he, he doesn't even see it he forgot and he says do you see that thing you're doing right now that sin the mindset the anxiety the fear that you're dealing with right now That's not who you are. He doesn't go, yep, that's from the dead guy. He goes, why are you looking for the dead amongst the living? That mindset that God created that you think, I sinned, therefore I'm a sinner. No, you sinned, but you are a son. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a son full of life. You used to be a sinner, but you're not anymore. You are saved. And so stop having the mentality that I'm always going to struggle in this life. Sin will always be a problem. Sickness will always be a problem. I'll always be depressed. I'll never be able to preach the gospel to anybody. I'll never pray for somebody and get healed. No, no, no. You are a son. You're a daughter. Look where you're going. You're going to be in heaven but do you understand that future you is present you? They're not two different people. I'm not trying to get you to go to Bible college, start praying in tongues for an hour. An hour? That's a big one. Oh, my gosh. Pray in tongues for an hour a day. Make sure you go to this class and that. No, no, no. If I am right here, God does deal in the present. That's the, different, that's the same thing. Like The enemy deals in the present. Look at your sin, it's because you're there. But God also says, look at your sin. He does the same thing, but with a different perspective in mind. Yeah, yeah. Look at your sin, look at your sin. Look at you. We think God doesn't do, do that. We, we think God's just like, oh, I'm just gonna love you anyway. He goes, no, look at your sin. This is the process of revival. Yeah. Revival is just not making you feel better about yourself. Revival is look at your sin. So that when we look at it, we confess it, we repent, and we get free. It's funny this anxiety thing that Dave brought up, and I know it was kind of a, a word, a few different words this morning. One of the things that I've noticed about anxiety, I, even like comedians, like I've, I was watching a show the other day, and it's, It's like there's this whole stream of comedy that's all about awkward. Like, how funny is it? Look how awkward this guy is. And some people's whole act is about how they're awkward with people, and they're always in awkward moments, and awkward, 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 awkward. It's anxiety. Anxiety is fear. And fear is faith. Do you understand that? Fear is faith that the worst is going to happen. It's faith in the worst case scenario. Because when you are afraid, when you're fear, you empower the negative thing. Like the worst possible scenario, the worst possible outcome, it's belief that that thing will happen. And so when we experience anxiety, and this is what I hear a lot, I hear, that thing gives me anxiety. No, the thing didn't give it to you. The enemy gave it to you and if I take it now that thing has become sin because I have taken what the enemy is trying to hand to me and I've got a choice I can sit here and go I have anxiety and wallow in it and be I've even seen the pressure if you don't have anxiety there's something wrong with you everybody's got it, everything's awkward, everybody's got anxiety, so if you don't have anxiety, something must, you must be weird, you must be in a cult. If you don't suffer from depression, if you're not on medication, if you don't have anxiety, something must be wrong with you. That's the pressure that not just young people, but even people my age, which are still young, they feel that stuff too. And so the Lord looks at that and goes, you have anxiety. And you know what the enemy does? He goes, you have anxiety and it's because of this, so that's who you are. And God goes, you have anxiety. That does not belong in the heart of one of my kids. Amen. Yeah. And I didn't put it there. And Timothy tells us, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You have power, you have love, and you have a sound mind. So come on, confess it, repent, get rid of it, and let me fill you with the things that I'm here to give you. Stop buying into the lie of anxiety. It's real. I'm not saying, God, if you have anxiety, the Lord looks at you and goes, no, you don't. That's denial. God goes, yes, you do. Now let's deal with it. Let's get it out. and yeah. Let's get yeah. healed. Yeah. God sees the present and he sees the future. The new wineskin thing. You were, that was one of the first songs we sung. That's the new wine. Like God, Jesus says that God has new wine that he wants to pour into us, but he can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. I know we don't have wineskins. It's not an illustration that always works, but the idea is that the old wineskin has served its purpose. It's stretched out fully, and it won't stretch anymore. That if you pour new wine, which is bubbly and effervescent, it will tear apart the old wineskin. You have to pour it into a new wineskin. The illustration is we need to be the new wineskin. I've heard preachers that are like, you can take the old wineskin and massage it with oil and, and rehydrate it. and then ma- The whole point, Jesus said, is you can't use an old wineskin. Like that's the essence of religiosity is trying to make an old one new again. You have to get rid of it and get a new wineskin. The new wineskin is the mindset. It means I am not the dead guy. I'm alive in Christ. I've been made new. That's good news. This is identity issue, and it's so important. And can I, I, I want this to be seasoned with grace. When I see people that struggle with identity issues, they're struggling with their identity as a son or a daughter. I see someone who isn't spending time with Jesus. I know that can sound harsh and judgmental and I promise you that's not my intention. But when I see people struggle with their identity and who they are and they keep getting reminded that you are this way because of your past. You are this way because everybody in your family was that way. You are this way because of this. That's someone who is not spending time with Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, There's these two guys named Peter and John. You know what Peter and John did for a living? They were not theologians. They were fishermen. I love fishing. Fishing did not require a theology degree in order to do it. No knock on fishermen if you're a fisherman here. But they stood up before the Sanhedrin and gave the boldest, most strongest declaration of the gospel that anybody had ever heard were demonstrated with power. And this is what was said of them. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. How would you like your bio in the Bible to be unschooled and ordinary? Like pick one. They mean the same thing, right? Did you have to go with unschooled and ordinary? Couldn't you just have one or the other? If they, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The only thing that they noticed that was different about them is that they had been with Jesus. So, do you remember Peter when Jesus was arrested? Like cowering in fear? Denied Jesus three times? Like it was just, not that it wasn't this Peter. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter seeing the resurrected Jesus And being filled with the Holy Spirit is what led to that boldness. What's going to give you the revelation of your identity in Him? There is no shortcut to that. It's only spent in time with Him. Your time with Jesus, your intimacy with Him, walking with Him is what gives you your identity. It's where you begin to hear the voice of the one that doesn't go, see that sin, it's because of this. He goes, you see that sin, that's not you because of this. Do you understand that the reason God doesn't see it is because my blood washed it away? Like it's not there anymore. But you're only going to get that revelation by spending time with him. And all the distractions of the world and all the, the, the anxiety, all that is meant to do is to keep you from the very presence that will set you free. I may struggle with self, self-confidence at times, and may shock some of you, but trust me, I do. I, I may struggle with self-confidence, but if I've been with Jesus, I will never struggle with God-confidence. Peter and John didn't stand up and go, hey, we got this. They stood up and went, there's a... Th- Fourth man in our fire. They stood up and went, with man this is impossible, with God this is possible. Peter, we're not alone. John's like, John, John, we're not alone. He's here with us and we're a new wineskin. When I've been with Jesus, I no longer rely on my schooling and I'm no longer limited by my lack of it. I have everything I need because we are a people of the presence. We are a people of of the presence. There's one memorial I want to share with you before we close. It's from Joshua chapter 4. Do you know what God told Joshua in the beginning of the book of Joshua? Be anxious and awkward, for I might not be with you. No. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you you so israel had come out of egypt watch ten commandments a great movie you'll you'll see what happened i'm just kidding read 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 the book of the exodus god brings them out of slavery into egypt because of their disobedience they spend 40 years in the desert but now they're ready to enter the promised land but there's a problem there's a river in their way there's no bridges there's no boats just a river in its flood stage. And God goes, on the other side of that river is a land flowing with milk and honey. I've already given it to you, but now you're here on the east side of the Jordan, which is, and it's okay, but it's not what's over there. And now you've got to get from here to there. You're facing a problem. There's a promise over there for you. But what are you going to do about it? And so God goes, i got a plan. Check this out, Joshua. Here's what I'm going to do. And this is him explaining what he was going to do. In chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, well, I, that's not this part, but I, I should probably explain what he does. God says, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. It was a box with some stuff in it, but it wasn't about the box, and it wasn't about the stuff, it was about the fact that it represented God's presence amongst his people. And he said, I want you to take the priests who carry the Ark, and I want them to step into the Jordan River at flood stage carrying the Ark and watch what happens. Sure enough, what God did is he stopped the Jordan River a little further upstream, and they all crossed over into dry ground. And the priest with the ark stood in the middle of where the Jordan River used to be. Somebody say used to be. Stand in the place in the middle of the river where it used to be, while everybody else crossed over on dry land. They stayed there as long as they needed to. Do. If they were standing in the place of opposition. Holding back the waters that were keeping the people from inheriting what God had promised. And a couple of priests, with the presence of God, stood in that place until everyone crossed over into dry ground. But God gave them some more instructions. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. And tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. Here we go. Stones on shoulders again, right? In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Those stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. And as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. I'm believing that for you, and this year, you're going to hear a lot. Where did you get those stones? What, I've never seen a stone like that before. Twelve stones piled up as a memorial that when you bring God into your situation, the impossible becomes possible. We are a people of the presence. You have a Jordan to cross. There is a future ahead of you. There is a promised land that He has for you. And it's not on this side of the Jordan. And you may be facing an impossible circumstance... But if you carry the presence with you, you will stand in the middle of the impossible and people will wonder, they will marvel as the waters hold up, when COVID doesn't come near your door, when things aren't shut down, when employment doesn't come near you, or even if it does, somehow God miraculously sustains you. He'll send manna from heaven. He'll send quail in from a desert. He'll bring water from a rock and you'll stand in the middle of a place where the river used to flow can I tell you there are people right now who are standing in the middle of your Jordan and they're carrying the presence of God and they're waiting saying will you cross the waters aren't here anymore come on get up be a person of the presence there is freedom we have found freedom And we'll stay here as long as you need to stay here. As as long as you need us here, but we're not moving till you cross. And you're not going to get what God has for you by staying on that side. What more do you want? You didn't have to set your foot in the river. The priest did for you. That priest is Jesus. There are people in our church who have stepped into freedom. They've decided, I'm not staying on the other side anymore. I'm not going to live a life bound by the dead man I used to be. But I understand, I am a son. I am a daughter. And I have the presence. Jesus keeps speaking to me because I'm with him all the time. And so it's not just me and my brother. But he's here. He's here. It's not a box of relics. His presence is with us get up. Stop staying in your fear. Stop staying in your thoughts of the way things should be. Stop staying in your own mindset of, well, I only know God to work this way. In the past five years, I have been more uncomfortably, I've been in situations where I've been more uncomfortable with how God works than I ever have in my life. And I've seen people do weird things like a train around the building. I and I would sit there and go, God, I guess if that's you, that's okay, but don't ask me to do that. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord spoke to me and went, at least they're willing to try something new. And never judged someone else's sacrifice based upon... Your decision to stay on that side of the Jordan. The presence of the Lord was in the middle of that river, it had left them. And they had a choice do I stay on this side? I follow the presence. You know, He goes before you and He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Do you understand the table is not, like, God's not going to be on the other side kicking you into the river? Like, the present, the the river was the enemy. He, He comes and literally. He sits down in the middle of the river where it used to be, and he goes, come on. "Would you come? Would you? How cool is this? Can you imagine the? Because you know what people do—they're on the other side and they're like—they're looking at each other. You gonna go? You gonna go? <laughs> Who's gonna be first? trust me if Romy was there before they got to the middle she'd be like "Ah." (laughs) he's going hey I can't imagine the priests sitting there just going how cool is this and so as the people began to come the priest told every single one come on Oh, and by the way, on your way over, make sure you pick up a rock. Because when you get to the other side, we tend to forget the things we're supposed to remember and remember the things we're supposed to forget. So your next generation needs to have a visual reminder that with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Because there's going to be a set of 12 rocks over there that don't look like the other rocks. It's going to stand out because it's not. there's only one place you can get those rocks. And the future generations will have never seen a rock like that before because they can't swim to the bottom of the Jordan to get that rock. There's only one place you can get that rock, and that is in the middle of your miracle, standing with the presence of God. So I want to encourage you. Keep the medical report. The one that said cancer, keep it. Maybe the divorce papers, keep it. Whatever the diagnosis was depression, anxiety, keep the report. Because when you meet Jesus in the middle of that place, you're going to have another report that says healed, that says married, that says bearing kids, that says no longer with anxiety. Keep them both. Keep them both. Do you know, I've seen more people ripped out of their healing. Do you know why? Because they get a positive report of cancer in their body. We pray for them. They get healed. They go back to the doctor and they get a negative report. And what does the doctor say? You guys know what he says. Must have been a... No, the doctors don't say that. Some do. I love you guys. What is it you normally hear? Oh, well, it must have been a false report. And I've seen more miracles ripped off because they say, oh, the report must have been false. No, it wasn't. You had cancer. You crossed the Jordan, and in the middle of the river, you got healed. And God said, take the new report with you. You got healed. We prayed for a girl. I've told you this story before. We're closing. Thank you, Brett. 19-year-old girl. She was seven months pregnant and HIV positive, her and the baby. So they're going to be born both with AIDS, and probably the baby would only have less than a year to live. And so she came to us, and we prayed for her. And we said, God, we know that you're here. We welcome you in here. We welcome, we welcome, we welcome. And in the middle of your Jordan right now, let's believe God for a miracle. And we told this girl, can you please give us the report? And in an HIV report, there's antibodies that are present if you have the disease. And if you have, like, half of them, you probably have it. She had all of them, all the antibodies, present, 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 present that's the report, you have HIV. She goes back two weeks later, she goes, the same doctor gets a report, not present, not present, not present, not present. We said, that's awesome, go back again in a week. She goes, they told me I don't have to, I said, go again, get another one. Goes back, again because I know how, I know what happens. It gets ripped off, right? And, and she goes back again, not present, not present, not present. I said, I want you to These are your stones, girl. Put these on your wall. Both of the reports. Present and not present. Because with God, nothing is impossible. He's a God of miracles. He's a God of miracles. We'll close. I want you to remember that we are a people of the presence. If you're struggling with identity right now, spend time with Him. I know it's Memorial Day Sunday. We'll give you a chance tonight, 6.30 to 7.30. We're just going to pray. We were supposed to do a teaching night, but it didn't work with our calendar and schedule stuff anyway, and I was like, forget it, we'll just pray anyway, because you'll discover that I may be in a fire, but there's a fourth man in my fire. I may have an impossible river to cross, but I have the presence. I may not have a boat, I may not have a bridge, I may not have the degrees, I may not know how to be articulate in my prayer, but I've got a word, and I've got the presence. I may be like Barabbas standing accused but yet jesus is there and i get set free i might be like the thief on the cross suffering for the consequences of my own sins but right next to me is jesus suffering the consequence of my sin and i can be set free because he's there be a person of the presence be familiar with him i want our church more than anything else to be familiar with the presence familiar with the presence. Because when you are, you will put up with nothing less. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here to heal, to restore. Help us to forget what you forgot. Help us to recognize the voice that reminds us of who we used to be is the voice of the accuser. But the voice that reminds us of who we are in you is your voice. Help us to take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. And if this is your prayer, I want you to, I can't, I can't repent for you. But Lord, I just repent of being distracted. Of not spending the time with you that I could and should I want to know you. I want to know you. I don't want to be like those seven scuns of Skiba that just tried to use a name that, that had no relationship. I want to walk intimately with you. Yes, I want your power to flow through me, but I want you as much as you want me. In Jesus' name, amen.